Welcome to episode 370 of Troubadours and Rockin' Tours with yours truly, E.W. Conundrum Demure. On this week's episode, we have a wonderful conversation with Pulitzer Prize winning playwright, the great Martin Amayok. Martin has been on the show, I believe, five times now, and it's a delight every go round. This time, we talk about the pandemic and how it is affecting theater venues in New York City and in London. We also talk about Queens and Sanctuary City, two of her work. Sanctuary City most recently was being staged. Self-preservation, being poetic, poor kid mentality. We discuss the whole notion of making it and empathy, among other things. A really wonderful conversation with Martina Mayok on today's program. We also have an EWSA titled Sanctuary City. And our associate producer, Dr. Michael Pavis, has crafted another radio play just for you titled Date Night. And it is performed by the father and daughter team Marnie and Dominic Azzarelli. We also have a poem called Small Miracle. And of course, as is always the case, all of this will be imbued, infused, with the wonderful energy of several great tunes. It's so nice to have you with us. Let's get to it. Episode 370 of Troubadours and Rock On Tours.
Sanctuary City. My belly is getting bigger. My mind is getting smaller, more acute. The sun is shining outside these living room windows as my look has grown more hirsute. The pool hall teenage hustler has gone on to win the Pulitzer, and methinks she is just getting warmed up. Bytum, Poland next to Chernobyl, to working-class neighborhoods amidst chemical plants of New Jersey. And now Manhattan moguls toast her work as they hear voices and taste stories not oft experienced or spoken with such bright light and focus, seasoned just right with spices gathered from her garden of real life, not thrown about as hip tokens. Who am I to speak of this tall tale? I am the one whose sense of self moves backward into his tiny shell, fearful of being stepped on by the unnoticing throng of flailing human beings. The word humanity perplexes me when I reflect and seek its truest meaning. Artists such as she assist us in such matters. These are so very important, even though it may be that in the process of becoming woke in some aspects of your life, one feels less potent. Is it that all too often our strength comes from treating others to be weak? And who was it that shall inherit the earth, Jesus, the God-forsaken meek? No matter, says this mad hatter, the queens keep on ironbound, as it is the cost of living in the sanctuary city. I've got no sacred holy cow, no pretty ruby mouth to smile and charm me through. I've got no clever silver tongue to flatter people into doing what I want to do. No, I'm not much for pushing buttons, pulling puppet strings, or fussing. Sides making silly rhymes, I'm really not so good at nothing. 
Martin and Mayok, is that you? It is. How you doing? It's E.W. Conundrum from Troubadours and Rock On Tours. I'm doing all right. <laughs> How are you doing? I'm doing all right as well. It's uh, <laughs> nice to have you on the show again. I think I'm honored to say, I think this is the fifth time. Is it? I think so. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, hopefully not the last. <laughs> no, hopefully not. Uh, let me give... Nice. What was that? Thanks for having me again. Oh, it's a pleasure. It's an honor. Pulitzer Prize winner on the show. Let me give people some background uh, in case they don't know. Martin Amayok is a Polish-American playwright who won the 2018 Pulitzer Prize for Drama for her play Cost of Living. Ms. Mayok is known for giving the price, uh, excuse me, the voiceless, who are priceless, a voice in <laughs> her plays, which includes stories of people who are immigrants, women, and disabled. And she has many plays, but some of the uh, more well-known, uh, Ironbound, Cost of Living, as we mentioned, Queens, and her most recent uh, Sanctuary City. And we're going to talk about probably a bit of uh, all of those because there seems to be a common theme. As we, as we mentioned, <laughs> you, you know, you, you do uh, give voice to often in our society, the voiceless. Uh, how are things going with the pandemic? Let's start off with that. Oh God. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's the, I, how are they going? I mean, uh, it's, I feel like we're, everyone's riding the sort of um, the emotional waves up and down all the time. And like, there's been from, per, for me personally, like right at the, right after the shutdown, I, I, I went into about a two week depression. I didn't really want to do anything. Um, I just sort of slept and read the news. Um, 
which I think was exactly what should have happened. I think there's an interesting um, awareness uh, about mental health and, and what people need. Uh, and that's a real thing happening um, uh, out of the, out of the pandemic. So I, so I like took two weeks to just be sad and then I got tired of being sad <laughs> and got back to work. Um, and, and like, it's been back and forth, like I'll finish a project and then, uh, you know, be sort of be like, what's the point of this? And what will we, will it even be able to be presented in the way I've imagined it and all these sorts of things. But then I'm like, well, what else can I do? Um, aside from keep myself healthy and like keep my family close, but to keep on, keep on going. And so it's like, I can't go on. I will go on. I must go on. So that's, that's, that's kind of been the cycle <laughs> that's been repeating itself in my life. But, um, but, but I'm lucky we're, I'm healthy. My family's healthy. And, um, so, so we're lucky. Well, you know, as, as you say, you mentioned a little, I think Beckett there, uh, yeah. <laughs> um, and you, yeah, you're an artist. What can you do? This is who you are. You're not faking it. I don't think, I think this is what you need to probably feel alive to be healthy in a mental way, in a spiritual way. So yeah, you must go on, but it must be frustrating. I know Sanctuary City was just starting to sort of get ready to, to, you know, you were in previews and, uh, yeah. you know, you're getting ready to really share it with the with the world at large in new york city mm -hmm. uh, and then the pandemic came and, and shut it all down and i i, I remember reading some of your responses and, and the like and uh, yeah i can tell you were upset and depressed because you, you were working with such good people and the production was coming alive yeah. uh, and i know a lot of folks are dealing with that in theater right now and uh how, how do you see this extraordinary uh, sort of event, the pandemic affecting our venues, the, you know, after it's done, because economically it must be difficult. Yeah. And I've, and I've been talking to a few people who are like the, who are involved in the sort of decision-making, not that there's much decision-making they can do. Basically everyone's like, we don't know, <laughs> we're waiting it out um, and are coming up with options. Um, so I, I just, I just talked to a friend of mine in London yesterday and he told me that one of their venues is shutting down and, uh, a theater, a theater venue is shutting down and they're not going to come back. I mean, I've, <laughs> I think a few weeks ago when I, when I saw the, like one of the bars in, the, in my neighborhood shutting down, I was like, Oh no, <laughs> it's so real. <laughs> it had to be a bar, but so far, you know, no one's, not that I've seen has, has announced that they're closing, but I, you know, I know we're all in a precarious situation rent how do you pay rent when you've you have no money coming in whether you're a theater or, or you know a human being an artist i mean all of us are pretty um vulnerable right now i know a lot of actors who are considering moving out of new york and just going home because uh, because of just it was already difficult to sort of to maintain a life here and um uh and the gamble of pursuing uh, a career in the arts and now we're just thinking about moving back home so um yeah nothing's for certain but but i think that's what we're all afraid of is that some of these places aren't gonna make it yeah uh, yeah same same across the country but in particular right. in new york right now i mean the epicenter of theater and uh, you know let's let's get to 
to your works, though. I, I wanted to get a little insight because it is it's a prescient issue about regarding oh, yeah. the, the theaters. But let's let's get into your works. Uh, Sanctuary City, the most recent that you've been uh, you have you've had on stage. Uh, it's it's theme, it's characters. I, I know a bit about it. We've talked about it before uh, when you were just working on it. So um, it, it has something to do with a couple of folks uh, who uh, one was, both were immigrants, one was naturalized, and the other was not yet. And uh, and then you decide, uh, well, the characters decide to marry to, to help the, the, that uh, friend who isn't yet a citizen. He's undocumented, yeah. So you, too, are a, an immigrant. Mm-hmm. You and your mom came here from Poland back, mm-hmm. I guess, in the late 80s, early 90s? Later, yeah, yeah, in the 90s. And, uh, you know, you, you've you come up in, in that context. You know what it is to be an immigrant. You know what it is to try to establish yourself in a new country, in a new community, how does that inform this play? And, and tell us a bit about the characters and themes and why sure. they're important to you. Yeah, I, I was actually, I, th- I forget if we if we talked about the kind of origin story of it, that I was working on Queens um, in yes. this March 2017. It was somewhere It was somewhere at the beginning of 2017. And um, I, I, I don't know exactly, but I know it was before <laughs> Trump was like, no more DACA. Uh, so a little bit before this, um, I was writing, I was working on Queens and there was a character that walked into the play that was a dreamer, undocumented um, student. And I, I sort of put my work away for the night. I, I was struggling with finishing the play. I still am. I still am <laughs> struggling with finishing Queens. I'm going to go back to it and, revive it and, and I didn't feel like I quite I quite reached what I what I wanted to and so I'm going to revisit it but, but during that time I was I was like pulling an all-nighter I think and it was like three in the morning or so and I decided to it was like time to clock out and I couldn't sleep because I kept thinking about certain people that I'd known in my life and a memory of mine from growing up and um, it just kind of kept kicking around in my in my head and so I, so I was like well just maybe this is maybe this is your next story why don't you just get out of bed and take some notes and so I started writing notes and realized a few a few pages in that I was just writing the play <laughs> and so I just was like well I'll keep going and I and for about three days I that's all I did I sort of canceled everything and and, and kept writing because I was afraid that I would lose it it was all just sort of just sort of pouring out in a way that it, the, that usually these my process of writing doesn't happen um, and uh, and so the story is about uh, as you said, it's about two teenagers who are each other's best friends or each other's person, and um, both are immigrants. One's undocumented, and another one becomes naturalized. And they, in in various ways, they're each other's sanctuary. Um, uh, they both have their own sorts of troubles at at home, um, and take care of one another. And so, um, in order to to have um, the other one be able to stay in the country and pursue their education. They decided to get married, and then and then and then <laughs> surprises uh, happen that I've been trying to keep under wraps. So that's uh, it kind of takes a turn, um, but um, but yeah, it comes from it sort of comes from a personal place and memories and and people that I people that I know as most as most of them most of my plays do. And then I and then I sort of let my imagination act on some parts of it. But yeah, it's a uh, it's it's sort of I think looking at like the idea of 
um, self-preservation and also helping one another and 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 the difficulties of of helping when you've only you've only just survived yourself uh, out of you know one of many things and it's it's very theatrical and um, a little bit of a departure from the kind of plays I usually usually write in terms of form um, uh, a little bit more poetic and theatrical and it's sort of it's sort of a uh, like trajectory I'm interested in continuing in in that kind of more theatrical form, yeah, yeah. That's, that's, that's and then we had a great time putting it up. It's I feel like I found my my people, my collaborators. I I worked with this British director named Rebecca Frecknell, who um, she is at the Almeida Theatre in London, and she directed this amazing um, production of Wow, uh, that siren was pretty dramatic. Sirens. I know this is like a this is also the soundtrack of my of my life right now as well. And the ambulances. I hope yeah. they're all right. My window closed. The Richard closed one. Um, yeah, yeah, sirens. But anyways, yeah, that's the that's the that's the story. Yeah, she, she's a, she's an impressive director, and uh, your cast yeah. is very yeah. very impressive. They were they were great. We had a, the direct, the designers were wonderful. They were in the room, and it was such a collaborative, just wonderful people um, that. Uh, yeah, I, I like it. it's. It's sort of a quick when you talk about music that you like, and you're like, oh, I just oh, you become very inarticulate. <laughs> it was sort of, it was just a really good time. Is <laughs> well, and, uh, let me ask yeah. you about the female character in the play. Right, <laughs> you mentioned how you model things after you know your own experiences. Is, is is this person you in any way? Maybe, maybe not. Maybe, Who maybe knows? not. And, yeah. you know, I, I've read some things and I've talked to you over the years and I get a sense. This is one of the reasons I, uh, well, I really well, feel connected. Why can it be the character? Why can it be the male? Well, I don't, good question. I, I guess I'm just being. Oh, sometimes I feel like I get, I become, uh, I talk about the more vulnerable parts of myself in the, in the characters that are the least, that look the least like me so that I can access them so that I don't get asked questions like that. <laughs> yeah, fair question. <laughs> Fair question. Uh, so, are you part of the male? Is the male character you? Maybe, Maybe not. <laughs> I feel like if I, I like, I don't write documentary. I don't. I'm not a journalist, um, and I'm not. You know, I'm not trying to get all the details and the dates right. I'm trying to. If I if I if I were interested in that, I think I might have gone the more like journalistic route. But I think I'm more interested in getting at something that's a universal truth about living and then about a certain experience about human condition or a certain experience of, of the world or America um, in in across characters as opposed to like these are the facts these are the facts I'm, I'm kind of interested in things that I might not otherwise have understood about myself and the world unless I'd written a play but it's but it gets hard when when um yeah, like a lot, like a lot for cost of living. People be like, "Are you Jess?" I'm like, "Yeah, maybe, maybe not." Like, I'm, I there's, there's aspects of, of the characters that that are that are close to me, but there, it's never like I'm trying to do, reportage. Jess is the caregiver in cost of living. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's the she's the person in her twenties. Yeah, you know, well, well, because both of them, both Eddie and Jess, become caregivers. But yeah, yeah, yeah. Now you know, I'm, I'm, uh, as I was saying, I. First of all, the the way you approach things is is amazing, and that's why you're one of our exceptional playwrights in this country. You know, and I and I, so I want to make mention of that. You make you you made me, and I appreciate it. And you make whoever comes to you, you, the theater to watch one of your works 
break out of you know the the uh, basic references and and the sort of pre or pre defined sense of of what is you know what is and and that's important for for uh, for us to to be made to do and I appreciate it now I, I remember going going back and and uh, uh, talking about you know when you were coming up and and one of the reasons I think I connect with you is we come we came up similarly you know um uh working class uh you know you you, you used to hang out and hustle at the pool hall <laughs> yeah you know i mean when you were a kid you were a bad girl and and well, it, i love school <laughs> well, that, bad girls like school usually bad girls are real smart just like bad boys you know uh, i loved the validation of school <laughs> yeah me too yeah. I hung out at a pool hall all the time, Jake's, and I played pool and foosball, <laughs> you know. Uh, but does the, the, the experience you had when you were a kid watching your mom try to try to make it, um, quote unquote, mm-hmm. uh, did it and does it still inspire you to kind of make to, to make it, quote unquote? And do you think yet you, you, you have? I think that there like a part of my DNA is that you are never safe. <laughs> like there's, there's some, um, I like, I joke with my husband who grew up similarly, although he grew up in a rural, like in, in the rural version of, of that, um, that like we have like poor kid mentality and like poor kid DNA, um, which is also, you know, for some people like immigrant DNA of like, there is nothing guaranteed for you. <laughs> you have no safety net. And so uh, y- you better make it work because <laughs> there's no guarantee that you're going to get helped by your government, by the country that you're in. You know, um, your family m- might love you, but they might not necessarily be able to support you financially in other other ways beyond love. And, um, and so, you know, I, I don't know. If I asked my mom if she felt like she made it, I'm curious what she'd say um, because I think that's also like the term making it is relative. Also Um, some people think making it is like you have a home, you have a roof over your head, um, you have healthy kids. And like, that's a version of making it. Some people think making it is like having a, leaving a legacy of work or um, writing, you know, in my case or whatever. But um, so, yeah, I, I, I'm that's I mean that's also related to the pandemic too I think of I think people a lot of people are reevaluating how they've found meaning um in their lives and and what what they define as making it uh particularly when like so many things are vulnerable and and uh and moving and and, and the ways that they have found meaning are necess- are not also not guaranteed at this uh, you know moving forward so yeah, I don't. I, she, my mom inspires me all the time. She's, she's. I, I still like find her in my writing, and and she's my, she's my like best friend in the world. I love her so much. Um, but I think like that's our, that's part of our uh, like <laughs> shared like my inheritance from my mom is like, <laughs> take care of yourself. <laughs> There's no guarantee. <laughs> yeah, I, I hear you. I mean because you experienced you're just one step away one paycheck away getting you know getting laid off and then losing your your home or being able to go to school or or to provide for your child what have you yeah i was talking to a guest recently uh who was made clear and you and i'm sure would agree 
those who have their hands on the levers of power, so to speak, uh, the elites, um, they really don't understand that mentality, that 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 fear that uh, you know, real quickly, real easily, they could lose their stability. Yeah, they might, or or, or they might have forgotten it. I mean, I you know, who I would. I would probably guess that yeah, the majority have not had to deal with that in like an, in an actual real way of like understanding that you might be like be, if your check is delayed, you might be out on the street. You know, like that very tangible, or like the difficulties of uh, welfare or whatever. Any of these things, like they might not have felt it. They might understand it on an intellectual level, but maybe not within their whole body and that of their families and and um at maybe at some point somebody within their lineage did but they may be very far you know like the first people in their families to have come over but they might be very far removed from that but yeah without without generalizing too much i think i'd say the majority <laughs> are probably far from that experience well, the pulling the pulling the triggers and all that well, sure. I mean, and even yourself now, you're, you, you won the Pulitzer Prize, and you, you stand to do much more great things because you're an amazingly talented person. I'm not just saying that because I'm trying to get in your good graces. I truly believe it. I've seen your work. I've read your work. Thus, what I'm getting at is a generation or two from now, your, your descendants may be doing very, very well and be far removed from what you experienced. Maybe if I, I mean, if I, if I have kids, who knows, like very, very much on the fence, you know? Um, but yeah, I wonder, I like, I've wondered about that of like, what's the, the, the generation that if, if your first generation is like, you're mostly struggling second generation, you've witnessed the struggle and you're in that kind of, you're aware of the precarious nature of living. Um, and then maybe if all you know goes well, the third generation is pretty good. They're they're established. You know they they live in a country where they were are born into the, the language and culture they're going to be living in, and their families around them, and their support. And and you know that can obviously go wrong as well. You could have you know terrible relationships with your family, or um, fall into bad luck with with work and things like that. But you know, speaking of Im- for immigrants, at least like. The third generation is likely, I think, the generation that can help, that can go beyond themselves and just their survival and the survival of their family and reach out beyond and help other people, strangers, or, uh, you know, or or make impact societally. But will they? (laughs) Will they if they haven't sort of seen and understood that kind of a struggle uh, on a a personal level? Exactly. You know, Third generation, you, you you believe that's the one that can finally do something. But I think you know yeah. I, I think so. Just looking at because I don't know in my first generation or my second, you know, like I was not born here, but I I grew up within this culture, like kind of one foot in one, one foot in another. But but would say I'm pretty integrated. You know, I'm I most people think say oh you're American, um, uh, but I've so so I'm the one who was part of, but also witnessed the struggle of the generation before me, which was my mom. Um, but yeah, you know, I'm like, I don't know. I wonder. I was just talking with my husband about Bezos, and I'm like, where is he? <laughs> where is he in this generational thing? Like, what? It just I don't know. That maybe it's a can of worms that was like, not worth opening. But I'm just like, I'm curious that like why not do you need all that money <laughs> really what are you gonna do with it <laughs> yeah it could do so well it could do so good 
so many good things. Your your husband's family been here for a while? They his mom's side, yeah. His mom's side, but they're they're you know, rural rural poor and um um really don't have you know, his mother especially doesn't really doesn't have um many means and um you know, has issues with disability and things like that. And his his dad is his grandmother, so I guess his dad is second generation or first generation. Um, he was born here, but his grandparents weren't. Um, yeah, so, you know, I, I can speak from the immigrant sort of perspective, but there's also people who have been here for a very long time that that, um, that haven't, you know, quote unquote, achieved the American dream based on at least the, the it being like get a house, get financial stability, make sure you're okay and you know, all that, that might have nothing to do with being an immigrant. When you talk about the American dream yeah. and, and, uh, I, you know, I would say that's an underlying theme in a way, just by implication to, to, uh, the, the work that you, you share with us. Um, is, is that a, is that a, in a state of flux in your mind? Do you, do you totally understand what that means? I think there's no, I, I think there's a mythos around the American. I've always thought that there's this myth around the, the the um, idea of the American dream, which is that like you should be able to make it, but that's that's also I mean so many of the the like paths to make to quote making it are rigged and uneven, and not everyone has the same access to that to like the, that path, and I think it's it's like it's a thing that haunts a lot of Americans, which is the shame of, if I haven't made it, it must be my fault. And, and I think that that's very sad and wrong. And I think that there should be more compassion for the, for the people who haven't quote achieved the American dream, because I don't think it's an even path. And, um, uh, I, I, I find a lot of like, um, when, when Polish people read my plays, they're like, Oh, this is, this is not the, <laughs> this is not the story that we have been told about your country. I'm like, no, exactly. <laughs> like, like take it from me guys. <laughs> like, I feel like I was very lucky. I feel like I lucked out, but there, like, there's many, there's many uh, instances in my past that I'm like, man, if I just like, if I just made one choice differently, uh, who the who the f Martin knows? Um, and I think that that's a lot of a lot of people who like for bad luck or for for whatever like haven't achieved that. And there's a lot of shame around it. And I think that's really unfortunate. Um, and did yeah. it better than maybe they can help each other in a way that actually allowed people to achieve that in a more egalitarian way. Well, helping each other—that's the—that's the real challenge, you know. Having time, as you mentioned earlier in our conversation, to reflect on life and what's important during this pandemic has really—I mean, it's always there for me, but I've been looking at it even more so. And and we don't—we don't help each other uh, because we're, I think, really pulled in so many different directions based on this this mythology of what it means to be okay and to be successful, you know, that the proverbial yeah. rat race. Yeah. And I don't know how do we get, I don't know how we get out of it, you know, especially when you have all this debt that you're coached, right. fooled, tricked to, 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 uh, to sort of establish if that's the right, right word. Yeah. Yeah. Whether it's like student debt or just the debt of, 
you know, like my mother got into a lot of debt just trying to raise two kids. Like it wasn't like she was, <laughs> she was reckless, you know, but she tells me the story of like when she first came to America and, and like learning about a credit card and she was like, what? This is amazing. Right. <laughs> I was like, oh no. <laughs> I've been terrified of credit cards ever since. <laughs> um, but you know, like student student debt, like I, yeah, um, I I don't know, and and it's also like I, I, there have been so many instances that I haven't helped, you know, because I'm afraid. I'm afraid that like it can all come tumbling down at any moment. Um, and maybe you know, maybe the Bezoses of the world are like it's all going to come tumbling down. But but how do we readjust? Like you're fine. <laughs> the idea that you're fine, bro. Like maybe, exactly. You know, uh, but but yeah, maybe maybe it is part of the rat race of like you've worked, um, you've worked to accumulate, and then there's this pressure of continuing, and there's a drug of of um, uh, moving forward, or whatever that means for for where you are there's always the potential to, to to keep moving forward in some way there's not like ah, oh, you made it um so then we feel like we have to keep going and sometimes that means closing ourselves to others that that need need help um yeah but maybe this is this is the part of the like pandemic perspective <laughs> which is we're all it we're all like taking some pandemic some stock and taking a look at what the pandemic is making us realize about the things that we've thought are defaults or givens in our in our like oh we must this we must that i've been i was shocked and like it's not delighted but also delighted that like new york shut down we shut down <laughs> this thing that we didn't think was possible we're like well no we can't we can't possibly shut it down and i like we know we did we did shut it down um for the sake of public health and and the things that we think like are impossible and unthinkable like we can do so like maybe we can slow down maybe we can stop you know like at a certain um road to progress maybe it does we we can stop or re rethink things and um that's been an, that's been interesting to kind of realize and and i wonder what the potential of that's going to be that like oh actually no no we can and it does stop um yeah, I'd be curious to see what happens. Me too. I might be more cynical than you. I got twenty years on you, so <laughs> I think with time you get cynical. Sometimes I, I feel yeah. I feel we'll forget. I feel we'll forget as soon as as soon as the pandemic goes away, we'll go right back in. Hopefully I mean, not. Probably. I mean, but but some people. I mean, some people won't. Or like some people will, will just be unable to because some of those things will be taken away from them. Uh, I'm not advocating for that, but I, you know. Some, a lot of people are rebuilding and trying to find new ways of everything. Uh, I know in like the writing world and um, theater and TV and film, they're trying to ways around it. Um, and some of those ways are deeply dissatisfying and they just don't, they, so like, so they, they keep going, they keep going. But um, yeah, I think we're not, we're just going to get Martina to take it away. <laughs> to figure out how Martina to keep moving forward uh, or, or remake a life. There also, there has been so many people who have had to, who had take it, had their version of their lives taken away from them, and in a sense, this is, this is a time for a lot of um, Americans to to like get a taste a little bit of, about what that is. Um, I was talking with a friend of mine um, recently about like um, writing plays that are not set in America, and then and then always wondering 
or writing stories that are not set in America and then wondering, oh, but will an American audience get it because they haven't had to be uprooted or, you know, evacuated from their home or whatever the case is. And I think there's, I, my hopeful part of my brain hopes that this, this time will also make people more empathetic towards stories that they would probably have thought are not for them or don't speak to them um, moving forward. Excellent. I hope so, too. Yeah. Martin Amayok on Troubadours and Rock on Tours, Pulitzer Prize-winning playwright and all-around great person, in my estimation. <laughs> uh, uh, so what's next? And, you know, I, I remember um, you mentioning a play about Chernobyl. Mm-hmm. So you experienced that as a child, or maybe you didn't know you experienced it until later in life when you were told. That I'm not. I was reading a couple <laughs> things. I'm not sure. So, what's is this yeah. Chernobyl next, or are you going to keep working with Sanctuary City? You have something new brewing that. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I can tell you about the the, the Chernobyl story because it's. Um, it was when I was two. My teeth. Um, I was living in Poland, and my teeth turned black and disintegrated, and we don't know what it. And I, you know, have no memory of it, but have had teeth problems ever since. And my mother, uh, and had told me later when I was twenty that um, it happened around the time of Chernobyl. And you know, it's such a, it's such a, relatively speaking, like a young event. You know, in terms of like charting biologically what ha- happened. And um, and uh, so who, you know, who knows? I went to. I went to Kiev and I went to the area of Chernobyl in September um, to talk to people, talk to uh, Ukrainian theater artists. I talked to people who had been evacuated from Pripyat, um, the town that is uh, was basically built to house a lot of the workers in the Chernobyl plant. Um, and, uh, and, you know, like they were obviously so much more directly impacted and who the hell knows if that's actually what happened to me. I, I have, I, whether it, whether it did or you know, whether that was the cause or not, like it was the thing that made me become very interested in, in the stories of that, of that. So yeah, I'm writing, I'm writing, it might be play with music. It might be a musical, but that's, I'm working on that. Um, I have a, I just finished a libretto for another musical and then I'm doing some TV and film projects, um, which like they, you know, for writers, a lot of writers, we've been really busy (laughs) during the pandemic. Because because people are like, what? Oh, you guys can just you guys can just work in, this is this is your normal life, <laughs> right? Like in quarantine, right? Oh so, yeah, and Sanctuary City, if you know it, the play feels the play feels done to me. It's we were we were a few days away from opening, and um, I yeah, it feels it feels as a as a text, it feels pretty pretty done. And so we're just hoping that we can bring it back. New York Theater Workshop wants to bring it back, and like everybody else, they don't they just don't know when they can and and what the world's going to look like so so i've got my fingers crossed about that but yeah i've kept working (laughs) my life is my life has not been that much dissimilar except for like more anxiety and fewer happy hours (laughs) yeah i mean going out and having a beer with friends yeah (laughs) yeah no now that bar closed so where are you gonna go There are other bars. They do do take. They do do takeout happy hour, which I really hope is a thing that continues on after <laughs> this time. <laughs> yeah, before we had to all wear masks, there was that one week that I was able just to drink in the park, and it was fantastic. And I think we should be able to do that. <laughs> yeah, I, I look forward to that as, as well. Um, <laughs> well, it's always a pleasure talking with you. You have such great energy and have a wonderful mind and a great sense of what society 
could be and is. And, and uh, you know, I look forward to following your career. Thank you so much for coming on our program. Uh, it means a lot to us. It really does. Well, thank you. I hope you're all well and 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 as and as sane as you can be and and finding beauty in everything right now during this time. Yes, thank you. I'm trying. You know, uh, I'm going to go for a walk right now as soon as we get yeah. off. Be safe with that mask. <laughs> I will. I will. Take care of yourself, Martina. Bye. Date night. A couple in a restaurant. Both are on their phones. She is on Facebook. He is watching a game. I can't believe this. Can you believe this? Donna and Ron are in Hawaii. How can they afford to go to Hawaii? Didn't they just put on an addition to their house, the mother-in-law apartment? Oh, look at the beach, the sun, the sand, the water, so blue. 
Come on. Come on. Damn it. Oh, look at this. Sandy and Tom are going to Cancun. Nice, huh? I thought that's where the college kids go. Kind of a pit. Oh, well. It's somewhere. There's a beach. Those two are always going somewhere. No kids, two good jobs. They haven't made. Las Vegas, New Orleans, Key West. <sighs> Come on. Come on. Damn it. Oh, Mary and Jack are going on a cruise. Alaska. A whale watching tour. Oh, wouldn't that be fun? I'd love to see the whales, wouldn't you? What is with this guy? Well, I would. I'd love to go to Hawaii or Cancun or Alaska. I'd love to go whale watching. It's funny. I just thought of my grandfather. He never wanted to go anywhere. I'm fine here, you'd say. Sitting on my front porch, nowhere else I want to be. Except fishing. He only wanted to go fishing. That was all he wanted to do. Fish at the same lake at the same spot. Never cared if he caught anything. You know, I can't remember if he ever caught anything. My grandmother would always tease him. Are we having fish tonight, dear? And they'd laugh. They were always laughing. They really liked one another. Enjoyed each other's company, you know. I remember one time my grandfather took me fishing. Just me. My brothers didn't go. It was a treat. I, I didn't really want to fish. I, I hated the smell of fish and thought the worms were gross. But I wanted to spend time alone with my grandpa. Well, we went to the lake and set up at the usual spot. He took my fishing pole and was sticking the poor worm on the hook when it started to pour rain. We were both drenched in seconds. I was screaming and Grandpa was laughing. I ran to my Grandpa's car and he, he picked up the gear and ran after me. He got a blanket out of the trunk and he, he sat in the front seat and wrapped the blanket around both of us. I was shivering and he rubbed my arms and we snuggled. Grandpa wasn't much of a snuggler from what I remember. I smelled his familiar smell. Palm oils and Old Spice. I can smell him now. We sat there under the blanket looking out at the rain. And then he began to sing. There's eat oats, dozy oats, little lambs eat ivy, kizzle eat ivy too, wouldn't you? I don't think I ever heard Grandpa sing. And I had never heard that song before that day. It's our song. That's how I like to think of it. <laughs> it stopped raining. Grandpa took me to the diner for pancakes. I smothered the pancakes in syrup. We, we both had extra orders of bacon. Funny the things you remember, isn't it? Man, what a horrible game. Well, do you want to get the check? Oh, here's the waiter. Let's see. Look at this. He charged us for nachos. We didn't have nachos. When was the last time we had nachos? Wait, this is the wrong check. He gave us the wrong check. Can you believe this? Hey, what's wrong? Nothing. Thinking about whales.
small miracle. I watched the puffball dandelions open in the early morning sunshine, yellow light with hints of rusty brown. Such a beautiful wonder since my days as a little child, closer to the ground. And now I am lobbied to think they need to be sprayed dead by a steel truck on the brink, full of chemicals. I prefer to blow you into the breeze with my smoker's wheeze, smiling as you dance away another small miracle. Every night when I fall on my knees in the light of the darkness every day, every time that I needed your love, never mind, couldn't find it anyway. No more sunshine to fall on me, lift my heart then to set me free. Now my light in the dark is a fire down the side that will rain eternally. I know to you, it might sound strange, nobody knows my name, nobody knows my name. And I don't care what you say anymore, live your life like a man, cause talk is cheap. And everywhere that you go in the world, and your mind and your heart to a friend in need. Ain't no sunshine in all this rain, lift my heart and begin again. Now my life is a part of a memory of man, let it go and let it be. I know to you, it might sound strange Nobody knows my name, nobody knows my name Episode 370 of Troubadours and Rock on Tours with yours truly, E.W. Conundrum Demure. I'd like to thank those folks who made this episode possible. First and foremost, Pulitzer Prize winning playwright and great friend of the program, Martina Mayok. I would also like to thank our great associate producer, Dr. Michael Pavis, and the acting father and daughter team of Dominic and Marnie Azzarelli, as well as these musical artists, Django Reinhardt, Stefan Grappelli, 
My Morning Jacket, Luther Dickinson and the Sisters of the Strawberry Moon, Kruangben, Kamasi Washington, Jose James and Laura Movula, as well as, of course, Brantford Marsalis and Terence Blanchard, too. Thanks so much for listening. Until next time, let's give it a go and try to enjoy this time. Take care.